God. Welcome, Jeff. I'm really, really excited to have you here. You're actually the first male I've had, which is both super exciting and kind of a bummer. Um, <laughs> yeah, how are you? Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to glad to be the first guy on your your podcast. That's been the case on a couple others also, and so it's uh, I, I like to hear that because it means that you're you're interested in hearing from the male perspective, which I think is important. Big time, big time. Um, so I would like for you to introduce yourself to the mm -hmm. listeners. I know we're kind of meeting for the first time as well. So I'll be, yeah, if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey, what you stand for, what you're currently doing for work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Well, my name is Jeff Ash and I'm in Houston, Texas, and uh, I'm a nutritionist, personal trainer, and intuitive eating coach. And so I focus all of my work these days um, from a weight neutral perspective using the intuitive eating framework. And then also uh, when I'm working with families who may have younger children, we'll, we'll bring in the division of responsibility that comes from Ellen Satter's work, uh, also weight neutral approach. And so I certainly didn't start out weight neutral as is the case for most, most of us in this area. I started mm -hmm. off with you know your typical fitness coaching with um, giving people training programs and weigh-ins and measurements and all of those kinds of things. Usually the goal being weight loss and or muscle building, those kinds of things. And so it's certainly been uh, the last few years, it's all been weight neutral once I once I really understood what a weight neutral approach was, what it was all about, what intuitive eating was, what it wasn't, because that was important to understand it properly, understanding health at every size properly, then I just really, I, I couldn't continue doing what I had been doing. It just, it, it just went against what I was uh, really passionate about doing. And so I started working with people with intuitive eating, just everybody. And actually, to, to be honest, most of those people at first were women. They were the ones coming and looking for it. But about a year and a half ago, probably, probably a couple of years ago is when I really started getting interested in what's the demand for men and intuitive eating. And I started Googling around and was finding absolutely nothing, nothing <laughs> geared toward men. You know, I came across Aaron Flores. Uh, mm -hmm. I came across you know, a couple of things here or there. Yeah, but you know, just just here and there. And I was also very active in Ellen Satter's group and and um, and some other intuitive eating groups. And I was literally the only guy ever commenting in there. So I was curious. I wonder if guys are interested in this. So I started the intuitive.eating.men Instagram account, and tons of women came out of the woodwork saying, oh my gosh, I've been looking for men doing this kind of thing. And so from there, it's been growing and, and I've shifted all of my attention now to working on with men. And that now all of my clients are men. Like, well, I have, I actually have one woman working with family, but other very, than that, it's all men. Yeah. Very, very cool. And so you were saying earlier, I couldn't keep working like this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, we, you know, before we got on this call, we were talking about our original idea of what health, nutrition, and physical activity and being mm -hmm. a coach in these realms would look like, right? And how that drastically shifted. So I want like a tangible idea of 
what caused you to have that shift? Like, do you have any like specific points where you're like, this is one example of why I cannot keep working like this as a personal trainer like this. And this is the evidence, like things like that, that gave you those epiphanies. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that got me super interested in using a weight neutral approach to begin with was interested in working with families who the, the parents, as well as the kids learning about <laughs> child nutrition. And what's interesting is that in, um, in the fitness community, most people, most responsible, remotely responsible people shy away from working with kids and teenagers with putting them on diets. You know, they're always like, no, no, don't put kids on diets. Don't, and when they don't put these teenagers on diets, they're at such a risk. But when they turn 18, boom, give them my fitness pal, put them <laughs> on a restrictive diet. And it just didn't, re it, it didn't make sense. And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. Like, this is contradictory. It's completely yeah. contradictory, this mentality. If it's not good for 16, 17 year olds, it's not good for 18, 19, 20, 20, you know, and so on. So Whatever. yeah, we're still kids on the inside. We carry yeah. all that stuff with us into adulthood. Okay. So yeah, that's a so really that was, that was where I really made the, the shift to kind of a light bulb moment, I guess. Uh, but uh, you know, one client in particular, I remember she came to me to she wanted to try an aggressive weight cut. So real low calorie for a short period of time, work on habits and behaviors, but kind of go, go all in, get the, get the weight off, get past the plateau real quickly, and then kind of coast along at maintenance. And so of course, you know, that was what I had in my mind that was possible. And so I used these aggressive weight cutting strategies and that are often kind of come out of the bodybuilding world. She made progress. She was super excited, but it just didn't stick. And we worked together and worked together, you know, a couple of years together. It was always cut. We'd hit a plateau, then we'd coast along a little bit. Then we'd do another cut then we'd coast along, you know, do another cut. And it was just kind of this yo-yo dieting up and down. And, and that was, that was something that I realized I just didn't, I didn't want to help people do that anymore because I don't think it's helpful. You know, I didn't want to help people get six packs anymore temporarily because I knew what it took to do that, doing those kinds of things myself. And it just wasn't productive for, for most people and what their, what their real goals were. You know, I, I think so many people think that, oh, all we have to do is just do this diet, you know, suck it up, do the diet, and then, then we'll just maintain. But we know that that maintenance part just doesn't doesn't generally work out when you forced your body down to a size where it's not natural for it. Unless, could it? I mean, is there a way it could? I mean, some people do. One uh, but I think what they do is they get down to a, a place that is natural for them. And then they think, oh, well, everybody can do this. I did it. Look. Mm, yes. Yes. And yes. that's, yeah, I think that's where we, we run into issues. So there's one, right? Mm -hmm. One being, you know, maybe the person gets down to uh, their own unique blueprint weight, like their mm -hmm. set point weight. And they're like, hey, if I did it, everyone can. I think another one is if those behaviors and all those circumstances around the behaviors are kept constant throughout the lifespan, then they can maintain that. Maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe there's more physiological processes that prevent maintenance, right? I know that as you lose the weight, there's physiological changes that make you want to regain it more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if 
all things, like let's say we're in a lab and all other things are kept constant, like maybe they could maintain that. One big mm -hmm. example right now is like the weight loss pills. If they stay on that weight loss pill for the rest mm -hmm. of their life, maybe they yeah. could maintain it. But if they get off of it, they go right back, right? Yeah. Well, it suppresses their appetite to a level that will support them staying at that at that body size. But that's not their natural their natural appetite. Uh, mm -hmm. I think of physical activity as another one. You know, when I was um, so my first wife passed away in 2010 mm -hmm. and I got real active in doing tons of things outdoors for a lot of years. I just really hadn't done a lot of that. I mean, I was still active, but not to this extent. And so I was always looking for different things, of course, as you can imagine, after losing a spouse to keep mm -hmm. busy and to to do that. And I've always enjoyed being outside. And I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time and a wonderful bike city. So I would ride well over 100 miles a week and oftentimes mile high elevation and up in the foothills of the mountains. And I would just ride a lot. I went to the gym a lot. I had lots of time to do all of those kinds of things. And I maintained a body weight that was quite a bit smaller than where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And that was because of all of that activity that I was involved in mm -hmm. and genetics, you know, combination of genetics and all that activity. And, but I, I, I can't do that level of activity now. I don't have the time for it. I have m other things that are much more important. And so I don't maintain that size at that because I don't have that same level of physical activity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people, um, fall into trouble is that you think, oh, well, yeah, just work out six days a week. I can totally do that. Well, yeah, you can do that for a month and then it starts to get really hard. Maybe you push it, push through another two months, but then it starts to wear on you emotionally, physically, psychologically, all those things. And totally, then, oh, yeah. I can't even like fathom going back to six times a week. Right, now. <laughs> I'm like at two workouts and then a run and a bike ride. And that's like my whole week. Yeah which like I've been playing around with that for myself. But anyways, okay, so one epiphany that we talked about was, okay, if they're really, really weary and warning against diets for kids, why the heck does that all of a sudden change so drastically mm -hmm. once we turn this arbitrary age of 18, right? Um, another one, it sounds like was that client, that female who was like, I want to cut. And then you were like, oh, wow, I'm watching a lot of yo-yoing. Mm -hmm. And then like, what happened after those three years of working with her? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. We haven't we haven't really stayed in contact. You know, yeah. She was doing a lot of other things too. And and so, uh, we don't know. yeah, I haven't, haven't found out. But what was cool though with, with this particular one is she was with me while I was making the transition to a weight neutral approach. So Aww. she was very much on board with that too. And my guess Aww. is she's probably very much in that now because we had transitioned kind of together with that, which was really cool to see. In fact, she had shared some books that she had come across on mindful eating and, you know, which is different than intuitive eating, but, but still some of those same kinds of principles about mindfulness and, and, uh, you know, finding satisfaction in yeah. different amounts of food, you know, how much food do I really need to be? Yeah. Do I need to be satisfied? Um, yeah. It's like, oh, wow. You know, I'm actually satisfied with with two cookies. It's I don't have to give myself a limit of two cookies. I'm, I actually found out I'm satisfied with that. So, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you remember an uh, in intuitive eating training? Like, at least we talked about how there's like a sadness that comes with being satisfied. It's in the book. 
Mm -hmm. So like someone who's used to having the 12 cookies, right? Mm -hmm. Or the 12 chicken nuggets, for example, that was my client today. If she were to be, or he were to be in tune with where do I really stop enjoying this food? And then they stop there. Sometimes there, it comes with the sadness. Have you ever heard mm -hmm. of that? Yeah, I have heard of that. I haven't, I honestly haven't you seen know. that with my clients too much. Okay. Um, They're most more of the <laughs> yeah, most of the guys that I've, that I've worked with um, feel more excited about the fact they're like, oh my gosh, I found out that I thought that I needed 10 cookies to be satisfied and I was actually satisfied with five or four or <laughs> two or same with pizza. And I, I remember the same kind of thing myself. It's like, wow, I just realized when all I had, all I did was stop and, and mindfully checked in. Am I satisfied? Is this tasting as good as it was? after the first piece and realize I really don't want any more. And I also feel better the next day as a result or later on in the day and, and that kind of thing. And so, um, I, and I don't know if that's more a guy thing or, or not. Um, uh, I, I worked with, you know, a number of women. I can, I, I didn't see that with them either, um, but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, the, the, I haven't seen a lot of that sadness thing. Okay. That, Interesting. That was talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always kind of thing that, right. There's reasons we hold on to whatever we were using mm -hmm. to cope and like kind of making that transition can sometimes be like, there's some sadness that comes with it. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, I, I have sensed the same thing in my life both ways. So mm -hmm. being excited that, oh, that's all it is. Okay. I move on with my life. And then being like, wait, I kind of wanted to numb out with this, but like, it's not doing yeah. it, you know? So well, dang it, yeah you know, do my billing now. <laughs> yeah. Like I, well, I do think today. Yeah, I do think that I've seen, you know, I've definitely seen people where they realize that they can't use, that they're no longer able to use food as that, that, um, security blanket, like as their primary coping mechanism and that they had to find other ones or admit that and realize that they were using that as this yeah. main coping mechanism. And so, so I think that that's where some of that kind of sadness or, or fear can come in at times too, is like, well, well now what am I going to do? I mean, I, cause yeah. I really, I'm satisfied with the smaller amount and that means, you know, I've got to find another way to cope with this. I can't numb myself yeah. with food anymore. Not, not that they can't, I mean, they still could, but they don't want to, they yeah. realize that they, they don't want to do that. And that, their body's telling them, Hey, that's not the best way. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, mm. one thing I wanted to dive in with you, which you kind of touched on this earlier is like, we were talking about how so much of the intuitive eating anti-diet weight inclusive space is very like, I don't, you know, I'm not super, um, familiar with the terminology. And I think the terminology is always changing like month by month. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a feminist space. Like it's very like, you know, there's so many books about how the patriarchy is what caused us to be in this diet culture, what caused mm -hmm. us to dislike our bodies. But it's like, I don't see it as a male versus female thing. Right. I mm -hmm. see it as like all bodies kind of want to belong. I mean, you even see it on the animal planet, like the met, the male, like, uh, what do you call it? Like the male peacocks are the ones who are like, I have to have these pretty colors. So it's like, <laughs> there's something bigger than just like, you know, try, I don't know. There's, there's something else there. And I do think that both genders 
go through being self-conscious of their body. And yes, to the extent that we do it, I don't know. I did have a conversation with a therapist who said that that was actually a marketing ploy because they realized that the women's like marketing thing for beauty and fitness and body image was already saturated. So they started marketing toward men. And so now men are more preoccupied with their physique than they used to be. That could be valid. But you in particular, you're like, no, there are differences. Like, yes, they're both affected, but there are differences in how they're affected. So I kind of want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, they, what I found in working with men and women is that they, they both have the same kinds of body dissatisfaction, but it's driven by different things. So okay. men are not objectified in the same way that women are in our culture. I mean, their bodies aren't, uh, they're certainly objectified in, in certain, in, in a certain sense, there's an emphasis on, you know, having a certain physique, uh, you know, the jokes in the lifting community, do you even lift bro, you know, implying that if you aren't, if you don't look like you lift that, you know, there's a problem with your body size. There, there's some of that, uh, some of that, um, kind of toxic sort of mentality, I guess that, that goes around there. Uh, young, young boys, young teenagers, that's a big issue is not being muscular enough. Muscle dysmorphic disorder is, is one of the issues that, that tends to pop up in the male community and, and stuff like that. But every guy I've ever worked with has had body image issues on top of the, the food. I mean, to differing degrees, but they still struggle with them, that body dissatisfaction. And, uh, you know, one of the big differences I do see though, is the dad bod kind of thing, you know, in quotes, uh, that's not always looked at in so negatively. And whereas women, the mom bod, that's just not a thing that, that, you know, women are encouraged to be comfortable in. So there's some big differences there. Uh, and so it certainly makes sense why the intuitive eating weight neutral, body positive kinds of things resonate a lot more with women and why women have maybe been the leaders in that area to really get it, get it out there and push it forward and that kind of thing. And, and why they're, they're very, um, upset about the, these messages that they've been given and, and the way the society is structured and, and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that I often say is, you know, if we can get the guys on board with intuitive eating and a weight neutral approach to health and food and help them become more confident in their own bodies and to not be look not be looking at other bodies from this perspective where size and shape is a a major um, uh, you know an imp a super important factor if we can get them to change that will help you you can't just get all the women on board that's not going to help I mean, it'll help a little bit, but if we can get the more men on board also, that will really, really help yes. uh, bring, bring this uh, to a place that I think makes a much more positive change. One trillion percent. And that is my experience in my immediate family unit, right? So mm -hmm. it's 
And it's not always written that way. Sometimes it's like, oh, the mom is really critical of, you know, the dad and very controlling of, you know, the dad's like diet or the kid's diet. My mom was pretty laissez-faire, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's just interesting. It's like, that was what I grew up with. And I think that's why I'm so interested in having men in the intuitive eating space. Not only that, like, Again, I was telling you my model for who an intuitive eater is and how someone who eats kind of what they want, when they're hungry, what satisfies them. That was always my brother, right? Mm -hmm. So I always had someone model a healthy relationship with food who was a male. And then I get into college and I start dating and I start going out with guys and I'm seeing how hard they are on their bodies or how they're like, oh, I don't, I shouldn't eat carbs. I shouldn't eat this, or I need to work out or I need, you know, like all mm -hmm. the like body image stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. There's something here that like they, you know, I don't know. I was also learning about intuitive eating in college. So I was like, oh, I wonder if that's constructive or if, you know, my brother had a point back then. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. agree. Yeah, I think if men are more gentle with mm -hmm. themselves, more understanding of what these messages mean of like yeah. looking on, hey, hustling doesn't have to mean having the most ripped abs. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a trait that you mm -hmm. have to be attracted to if you're not, you know? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things uh, that that comes up a lot and is that men often don't have the vocabulary to express body image concerns because we're not taught to to express those things mm -hmm. and i i mean i i think women aren't taught that much as well either i mean there's a lot of area that can a lot of room for improvement in how we educate women and men but but men in particular, it's something that is not encouraged from the time that you're young. You know, you're you're not encouraged to share how you're truly feeling or to cry mm -hmm. or to you know let it out. Uh, not not every situation, you know, that's kind of a bit of generalization there. But mm -hmm. but it's true that that that's very common to have this idea that you know that boys don't cry uh, if you know, guys make fun of you in the locker room, which is a very common kind of a thing among groups of guys, you know, giving each other a hard time about various body parts. And in fact, a lot of people end up, a lot of guys end up with nicknames based on either small or large or weird body parts or whatever yeah. the case may be. And you're just expected to take it. So if they call you a nickname or something that's related to an aspect of your body that you're uncomfortable with, and you express that and say, hey guys, can you not, uh, talk about my body in that way. Let's talk about something else. I, I mean, if you're a guy listening, you're you're thinking, oh yeah, that would not have gone over well. Uh, no. If you didn't get beat up, you would get beat up and, uh, verbally, emotionally, that kind of a thing. And so we're just not taught that. Yeah. We're not given like how do how do we express that we're concerned about our our body image or some aspect of that, and that we're not comfortable with that. Uh, so a lot of times that's some of the work that I do with men in particular is just helping them to understand that, that this is normal, that literally yeah. every guy I've ever worked with. And in fact, most of the guys I talk to have some kind of a, a, a dissatisfaction with some aspect of their body. 
And once we, once guys realize that and understand it, then they start to realize that, Hey, you know what, this is okay. I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I can do a little work in here and, and start exploring this. And that's one of the reasons I started a, a men's community also called Equip to Thrive that goes along with an intuitive eating course that I have that's specifically for men where they can talk and share and, uh, about these kinds of things. And it's really cool because we have, a, we have uh, a nice, diverse group of guys from different body sizes and, and some athletic guys and some bigger guys and, and that kind of thing, different histories of, of eating, uh, disordered eating and that kind of a thing. And it's great to all come together and talk about those different things. I've, uh, I have a curiosity. Um, so we just have our first, so I live in a valley in the Roaring Fork Valley in Colorado. It's like Aspen is a part of it, Basalt, Carbondale, Glenwood. So, <laughs> um, we just had our first Overeaters Anonymous start here. It just got approved. Ooh. So, you know, when I'm hearing about group work, when I'm hearing out about a safe place to share, mm -hmm. I think of that, right? And actually, when I was in high school, I took a psychology class with the college, the local college, mm -hmm. and they had me go to any kind of meeting like that. It could be AA, it could be whatever. I picked Food Addicts Anonymous. And I went to a meeting and it was very diverse. Like all the people there were in different body sizes and things like that. So it just makes me think like, thank you, right? For mm -hmm. having another group to satisfy that need, but with a different philosophy, a different perspective, a different mm -hmm. lens that I personally, of course, am biased toward. Yeah. Has anyone in your group ever come from OA or Food, food Addicts mm -hmm. Anonymous? Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Uh, yeah. In fact, um, we're, we were having a conversation about some of the differences and some of the, the you know, the, the emphasis in, in OA on this more of a food being addictive. And so approaching it from an addiction standpoint, uh, much more about abstinence and that kind of a perspective, which does not align at all with intuitive eating. You well, know, it's, yeah, it's exactly what seems to be driving the overeating in, in most people. Not that it never works. I'm sure it's worked for some people, but in general, it's the restriction, the idea that I can't control myself around these foods. So I need to get them out, you know, just like with alcohol, I can't control myself with alcohol. I'm addicted to it. So I need to abstain from it. And that same mindset mentality with, with food just isn't, you have to eat <laughs> and it's going to be there and there's nothing wrong with it either. That's the thing is that there, there's, there's no moral value to, to the food or any, any food. And mm -hmm. so that approach, uh, seems to be yeah. uh, less than ideal. And that's, that's what, that's what, uh, had been the experience of the, the people that have been involved in, in overeaters anonymous. And, uh, I would imagine it's thing. really hard for them to unlearn mm -hmm. and, and maybe they come in with hope, but a lot of skepticism as well as they try mm -hmm. to trust habituation. Right. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what habituation is. Yeah, so habituation is basically getting comfortable with a particular food and uh, going through this process of of normalizing it to where it it doesn't have that same appeal that it it once had or that same draw. Uh, it's not not that you get sick of it, 
because that's not what we're trying to do because that's not really a healthy thing either like eat it until you're sick of it it's like no that's that's not it either but just getting to a place where it becomes normal and then you can have it when you want it and you cannot have it when you don't want it you can have something else and you don't feel like you have to uh that you're controlled by it and that's that's something that a lot of people struggle with is they they have it in their head that they're addicted to a food and so it's, you can almost manifest that reality when you go into it with that mindset and so you know you've, you've probably used that that approach before too with people is that habituation process where you know one of the things that one of the specific ways i like to go about that is to have them pick a single food same brand same flavor you know, something simple like that uh, and then they'll eat it with every meal breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, you know, eat it every time that they're eating a small amount of it until it becomes, and it's, you know, you don't, again, it's not to get them sick of it, but it's to get them to the point where, oh, I can actually stop eating this because I realized it still tastes good, but I want something else. And yeah. then they get to a point where they, it, it's, it kind of builds confidence in that whole process that you you can trust your body and those little things, each little step where you're able to, to trust your body just a little bit uh, is a great thing. I was talking to, uh, to somebody that just started with me also, and, and he was sharing how he had usually going into a new diet or something like that, a new eating plan, whatever it was, that he would always have that last supper thing. Okay, I'm gonna get it out of my system. And he said what was really cool was starting with intuitive eating was he was already he'd already read the book so he's very familiar with it but he was ready to start and he said i realized i didn't even go wild with it he said i just kind of went into it knowing that there's no reason to do that and so uh, even with that basic understanding of it it just changed ha gave him a whole different mindset yeah and what jeff is talking about here um for the listeners is the very classic very familiar my diet starts tomorrow you know the last supper mentality um where you see someone on sunday going out to get burgers and ice cream eat because they want it so bad because they won't let themselves have it on monday mm -hmm. but if they weren't to restrict it on monday who knows if they would have wanted it on sunday i don't right. know um, another thing about your habituation um, effect or experiment that you ran is you had them buy a food that they were really craving, right? More, mm -hmm. you know, in quotes, a junk food maybe or like a, a play food. Yeah, really, it's one that they felt like they, they struggled with. So one that okay. they felt like they they were like, I can't control myself around yeah. Snickers. You know, uh -huh. when they're in there, I eat the entire thing. And it's like, OK, yeah. well, let's let's start with that often it's um it just kind of depends on where they're at sometimes you pick something that is a, a big one you know a big problem another one you might be well yes. what's one that's not such a big problem that you're not quite as afraid of so we can start yeah. off slowly build some yes. confidence in it where they think yeah I, I really have trouble stopping but i guess i could probably see myself maybe not eating this all the time totally. so it's like that might be a good one so because what i find is that as we go through and if we can just build a little confidence in this process that it tends to snowball and and they start to realize yeah i can trust my body i i trusted it this wasn't that big of a thing but i i didn't think i could trust myself with that and i did so now maybe i yeah. can try this yeah yeah and i think 
you know, two things come to mind. I want to give this example of eating jicama, like with my aunt. But before that, um, when we started off this recording, we were talking a lot about body image and weight and lean mass and physique and like more about aesthetics and appearance. But when you're talking about eating a Snickers bar at every meal, it really doesn't matter your physique or your appearance, right? Then people start to wonder, but isn't intuitive eating bad for health, mm -hmm. right? And so there's these two it's so cool. It's like with intuitive eating, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Like you are not only neutralizing your relationship with your boot, Bob booty. <laughs> with your body. <laughs> Hopefully your booty too. too. Yeah. Um, with your body, but also with foods, right? Trigger mm -hmm. foods that might be if eaten in excess, actually an unhealthy diet, but eaten you know, like, yes, you go through this phase of I'm going to eat a Snickers at every meal. And ultimately, the goal is to totally neutralize that food to help you for the long run obtain like a varied, diverse diet with plate yeah. food and fresh food and high nutrient dense food and yada, yada. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point is that one of the things that I really love about the intuitive eating approach is the emphasis on addition. And I know that resonates with a lot of guys. I know it resonates with, with women too. I'm just saying that a lot of guys really resonates with them that not trying to take stuff away from you, that yeah. the goal is not to cut back on this. The goal yeah. is to figure out what works best for your body and then do that. And yeah. it usually means if you're not, if you're eating tons of fast food, just as a, as an example, tons of fast food and, you know, stuff from vending machines and stuff. Well, you can, you can approach it by saying, well, I need to cut out all the fast food and all the quote processed food, but then you tend to think about those things more or you cut them out. And, and it may be that, that those were the only foods that were available at that time or that were, that were, well, that were available like at, uh, while you were at work or when you needed a snack or something. And so mm -hmm. instead of saying, let's just cut those out, we, we, look at the situation and say, well, what could we add in? So what could we add into your day? You know, you're getting to lunch and you find you're finding yourself super hungry and you go wild and then you're going to the vending machine after that. Oh, but you're skipping breakfast. Well, what if you ate a little something for breakfast and maybe yeah. a mid morning snack and then they find out, oh, well, yeah, when I got to lunch, I didn't have this urge to go and buy like the super value meal at McDonald's. Not that that's bad. It's just that Oh yeah. You know, if it turns out I didn't even really like that, but it was convenient. I needed something quick. I needed something substantial. And then they find, Hey, by adding in these other things, it made it easier for me to make a decision for myself. That was actually what I wanted and what's going to serve my body well. And so it's, it's that additive approach, mindfulness, rather than these rules of like, Oh, I can't eat that. Or I need to cut that out. Or I need to cut back on that. Yes. And as a practitioner, it's so key that you don't have that or that you've not that you don't have it, but you've worked through that bias mm -hmm. and, you, and you've noticed that bias and how unhelpful it is. So you can help implement strategy that doesn't have all that noise, all those food rules. Mm -hmm. And you can just 
you know, help this client see a neutral strategy. Well, neutral on your behalf, they might think it's quote unquote bad, but mm -hmm. then once they do it and they practice it and they experiment with it, they're like, holy cow, my habits are actually healthier when I do that. Um, I cannot tell you how common that is with my male clients. That exact epiphany mm -hmm. <laughs> that you said, you know, is so common with my male clients. They just like tend to skip breakfast all the time. And then yeah. they're like, eating so much at lunch or whatever, like, or, you know, it's even waiting until dinner, right? Mm -hmm. One of the coolest epiphanies is like, oh, my stress actually like tones down significantly when I have breakfast. So mm -hmm. it's not even that you're toning down the overeating, which that is a cool byproduct, but you're also improving your mentation and your levels of stress and tolerance um, so eating is just pretty awesome. Um, but mm -hmm. all of our clients restrict it so much. Um, but yeah, one point I wanted to get at when we were talking about habituation, but the additive, um, value of gentle nutrition is also mm -hmm. very relevant here. So very specific situation. I was just on the phone with my aunt who is in Mexico and you know, we were looking at our diet and there was a lot of chips, right? So chips like four times a week as a snack, that was like her kind of go-to snack. And then if it wasn't that, it was peanuts. And like, of course, I'm not taking anything away. I was mm -hmm. just curious, like, how often is this? And like, are we satisfied when we're eating it? And then she said, well, recently I just bought jicama, right? So it's this big mm -hmm. I don't even know. It's just like a fibrous root and it really doesn't have much flavor, but it is such a cool Mexican staple like snack. Mm -hmm. But you can really start to hate that thing if you're making yourself eat it every time. So what she said was she prepared jicama with like lime and chili powder and has it in the fridge in a container. But instead of in opting for jicama, over the chips she just skips the snack altogether because it doesn't sound appealing and of course it doesn't because she's almost saying like a should statement like i should mm -hmm. be eating jicama instead of chips so what we talked about is not having an either or mindset about it but have the chips as much as you want and can we add jicama because you're still going to get those benefits of the nutrients, those very mm -hmm. unique nutrients that jicama has and the fiber and the vitamin C from the lime, right? So just because she's still continuing the chips doesn't mean it negates the benefits of the jicama. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I love that. That's so true. Like it's these simple strategies that are really, really cool to work on. Yeah. It, it really is when you tell somebody to add something instead of you can't have that anymore or you need to cut that out. It's a whole different mindset. Then they start thinking, oh, yeah, oh, I could add this. I could add that. Uh, like the chip example, that's a really common kind of a thing that comes up. And I'll, I'll tell them, do you like the chips? Well, yeah, I like the chips. I just find myself hungry again 30 minutes later. I'm like, well, why mm -hmm. don't you eat the chips and eat some beef jerky? have a protein shake, eat some yogurt. Uh, what other things that have some, some, maybe some protein in there or fiber, like you said, to go along with that. Can you think of some things that would, that would, that you could add to that and make the snack more substantial. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they're like, Oh, I had never even thought of that. Well, I'll have some other things on hand and, and often they'll have a variety of things. And then once they have that wider variety that, and they have permission to eat all of you know, anything at any time, then yeah. they just 
naturally grab some things that are going to sustain them and they find it so much easier to control their eating over the course of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Balanced meals with all the macronutrients goes such a long way. Like mm -hmm. it is, that is one of the epiphanies I had to shy away from giving any kind of shits about calories. Yeah. I was just like, screw looking at that number because look at all of these benefits that we're missing out on just for trying to pick the lowest calorie food or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to muscle through the hunger and stuff like that instead of just saying, you know, hunger is a normal thing. It's a thing your body's telling you it needs energy. So give yeah. it what it needs. And if you just, just that little bit of mindfulness and I often, I probably bring in that mitt that, uh, mixed macros at a at a meal and snack thing earlier than maybe some other people would typically do that that gentle nutrition part mm -hmm. um, I, I tend to bring that in pretty early on but I find a lot of guys that I've worked with it really resonates with them it's like a it's a it's something they can do a lot of them like a like to have a task or feel like they're implementing something rather than just reflecting or journaling or that kind of a thing and and that um, I have a, a animation that I show where it shows the impact of of sugar, starches, fat, and protein kind of over a time period that really illustrates how you know the sugar knocks your hunger out right away because it spikes your insulin, which is a satiety hormone. Spikes your insulin, not a bad thing. Uh, you don't you know it adds that satiety for a moment, but it doesn't last very long. But if right. you add some starches and some fiber and some carbs and some fat in there, then yeah. it just kind of keeps it cruising along nicely. And then all of a sudden, a loaded cheeseburger isn't so bad after all, right? Because right. you got yeah. all of those in there. Exactly. I, know, I remember having that epiphany in nutrition, like in school too. Yeah. Um, which by the way, I actually see the same with my female clients. They want mm -hmm. tangibles, they want, they, you know, they want, that's how my brain works too. It's like, I want something practical. And then I started to look into the more emotional or the deeper stuff. Once I started mm -hmm. to question the old school practical things, Yeah, right. Such as, you know, me questioning the significance of calories. That's when I started to be like, oh shoot, this is a mindset thing. This is like, you know, a satisfaction thing. There's, this is a diet culture thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I get that. Um, yeah. I I do like working with men for that reason, though, because they do seem to catch on quickly. And it might be just the fact that they've never heard these things before. So it's like once they hear it the first time, they're like, oh, cool. OK, I can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's so fun working with men. They they think very practically. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of it, too, comes back to some of those differences I mentioned earlier where. Uh, a lot of men don't have that same kind of baggage that that women grow up with where yeah society keeps telling them they need to stay small and trim and you know and that kind of a thing and where guys can get away with with a much broader body shape and size range and not catch crap from society about it yeah. directly now they they may still feel self-conscious i think social media contributes to that you know guys think yeah. they all need to have a six-pack but it's society doesn't constantly tell them you need to have a six pack. You need to have a uh, six pack where women sure. they are telling them you need to be small and you need to be thin and you need to, or you need to have this certain shape, I guess, you know, it's not always just small now. It's always changing. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Cause yeah. I do have a friend who's a doctor now an ER doctor and he's adamantly against intuitive eating. And oh, yeah. he, he swears that fat phobia 
and fat shaming helped him when he was a kid. So he swears by it, right? And so he's yeah. all into like keto, intermittent fasting and working out like crazy and physique and chiseled, you know, and all that. And so it's just, I see it, but maybe they don't feel that emotional impact, right? But I have a feeling there's probably a lot more going on yeah. there that, that that's not being expressed. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, not to say that somebody doesn't feel fine with the way they're doing things, but yeah, true. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. you know, everybody's different. But yeah, I think so I think different. more often than not, there's something deeper that somebody's kind of masking. I've done it myself. I've masked my own issues that I was struggling with and you know, I mean, Wait, I think we all I think have every single every single expert that finds themselves in the intuitive eating space came from that mentality you know what i mean mm -hmm. came from being like something isn't working in the traditional like dieting and make yourself like a certain type of physique mentality mm -hmm. yeah so um to close off like first of all thank you so much this was so fun and i could talk forever <laughs> um well, thanks for having me session <laughs> no um yeah to close off is there any like your two cents for maybe someone who is uh between like 18 to 40 year old male out there thinking like hey i've been in the fitness world i've been trying to work on my physique and my health i'm open mm -hmm. what would you tell them yeah i mean i would uh if they're open to taking another approach where they're no longer focused on changing the size and shape of their body i think one of the big ones that can be helpful and that I think a lot of guys resonate with, I know this resonate, re resonates with me personally, is focus on what your body can do. So um, mm. think of it as uh, you know, what, what, can you, what can you do to improve the function of your body or what goals can you set that are not related to the size of your muscles, the amount of body fat that you have, things that you can focus your attention on instead. Cause I, you know, I did bodybuilding type approaches for a number of years where the focus was all on changes in my body size and shape. And I do the tape measure around my waist and, you know, my different muscle groups and that kind of a thing. And it's so much more freeing now to not even think about that stuff. I see a completely different person when I look in the mirror because I'm not picking apart different parts of my body or saying, oh, that's, that part's lagging. And so uh, one, one suggestion I've made for some people is if you're, if you've been typically focused on an aesthetic goal, try yeah. switching over to like a powerlifting type goal or even CrossFit. I, I hesitate on that a little bit I because the CrossFit so environment can yeah. be, can uh, um, perpetuate that diet culture mentality. But at the same time, there's, you know, you have these goals in mind and I do ninja and, and so I have different obstacles and I, like last night I was working on doing a, a speed lache and I, I can't quite get it, but I finally got one where I yeah. went from one bar to the next. And so I'm like, okay, next time I'll try and get two or three or working on the salmon ladder. I'm getting a little higher up each time. And, and it, it's something that I, I don't even have to think about the size or shape of my body. It, it takes my mind somewhere completely different. So right. if you can find goals like that, that can be a great way to get started um, addressing body image concerns. And then if you're questioning, like maybe, I don't know, is this right for me? Should I give it a try? I'm thinking, 
has what you're doing now been working for you? Because obviously, if you're entertaining the idea of intuitive eating, you're probably not happy with the approach you've been using. Mm -hmm. Some people, maybe, maybe they are. Maybe you're yeah. just overwhelmed with all the different mm -hmm. theories out there and everyone's screaming, this is the approach that works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but along the lines of what you're saying with like CrossFit or finding your type of thing to work toward, mm -hmm. I like uh, rock climbing. One yes. of the, like, that is such a fun mental exercise as much as it is a physical one. You're like strategizing and stuff. And then another one is orange theory, even though they mm -hmm. are so deeply rooted in diet culture with like talking about calories and earning that cake or whatever, like just let that go through one ear, not the other. But I like that they show that maybe for one person who's really out of shape, being in the orange is just as good as the other person who's super in shape when they're in the orange and you could be doing totally different amounts of reps, totally different mm -hmm. weights, totally different speed on the treadmill, but you're putting in that effort and you're getting the same quality of a workout at your mm -hmm. level. Like say you're a beginner or intermediate or whatever, you're pushing yourself to your own kind of limit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause I, I think that can be so helpful to have, have these kinds of goals instead of weight goals, instead of, uh, shape of your muscle goals, setting it for what can I do? Um, you know, how maybe yeah. it's increase my speed. Maybe it's increase, uh, something, some other aspect. I have a, have one client who we've been working on setting goals for his, his biking. Cause he was, he was very goal oriented. He wanted to have goals to do because mm -hmm. he, he found that to be a helpful way to stay excited about different things. Cool. And so we came up with different ways that, okay, well, oh, I know what I can do. I can work at, I'll set a goal of staying in a certain heart rate range for a period of time or pushing myself a little harder into that yeah. range. And that was something that, that he found super fun and yeah. exciting to see that when you look back at his data, you know, we don't have to throw out the data. We can still put that if that's something that you'd like to use to assess your progress and those kinds of things. So you can fit that in with the yeah. intuitive eating principles. Uh, it, it really comes down to just not obsessing about those things. Totally. And this might be a two second little, um, addition to what we've been talking about, but it is so incredibly valuable is as you start increasing physical activity, you might need to increase your nutrition, right? Oh, like more protein, 100%. more carbs, more fat, more calories in general. And not only that, but to do it in a healthy way and in a safe way, you might need to increase your rest as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you stand with that. How do you feel? Yeah, absolutely. That's a hundred percent. And that's where the gentle nutrition can come in too, because Maybe you're a guy thinking, well, I, I have performance concerns or considerations. I, I enjoy this. I want to increase my, my uh, maybe you play rugby on the weekends or maybe you play tennis or maybe you do ninja or rock climbing, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and you have performance considerations and you're thinking, well, can I do that with intuitive eating? And yeah, that's where the gentle nutrition stuff can come in and where you mindfully consider increasing you're eating, you know, uh, uh, or increasing your protein intake or, or just being mindful. Am I getting enough? Am I eating protein throughout the day? <laughs> not overthinking it, not counting calories or counting macros, but just that general no, totally. principle of you can still apply what you've learned through fitness yep. culture in some that, of those areas to, that. uh, to what you're doing with that. Thank and I, I do it. I, I'm very mindful no. of that. 
honestly, thank you because there is so much hatred toward, you know, like I just brought in Orange Theory, you just brought in CrossFit. And it's like all of our education, all of our experience has served a purpose, even though mm -hmm. we resent it for many reasons, yeah. right? Um, there's stuff we can take away from it. That's really cool. So yeah, last thing is like, notice how your body's feeling. So in my previous episode with Keely, um, who was an ultra marathon runner, she said, you know, she had a very disordered relationship with food, wasn't eating enough, running insane distances and restricting. And then one day she came home and she ate a bunch of grapes. And after eating all those grapes, she went on a run and she noticed a massive improvement. So yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't always require knowing numbers or being worried of like, do I need more protein or, or is it like the right ratio of carbs? It's like, notice, you know, if yeah. eating more improves your performance or if resting more, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always talk about intuition and a lot of times people get hung up on the idea that intuition is all about like feeling it in the moment and that kind of thing. But into anybody who does anything intuitively has a long history of, of life experiences, cool. book knowledge, cool. talking and conversations with other people. I mean, Michael Jordan, you know, best yeah. basketball player ever, regardless of what your opinion is on that. That's just a fact, sorry to say, but, uh, <laughs> but very intuitive with whatever he did, but he didn't, that was, he wasn't born with that. That came through practice training, all of those kinds of things. And the same can happen with our eating. You know, we, we practice it. We learn from our experiences. Like you pointed out, you know, when I eat a handful of grapes before I go for a run, I have more energy. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to eat a handful of grapes or something like that before mm -hmm. I go running now. And it's not a, it's not a diety thing. It's not a rule. It's just a, Hey, I found this seems to work best. I don't like yeah. to eat a lot before I go do ninja. So I usually eat a super light yes. meal before. Yeah, I come home and I eat a big old meal afterward. And I found that works for me. Other people like to eat before. Totally. And that is where I was drawn to intuitive eating as well. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone is so unique. You have to experiment and validate your experience. Yeah. Right? And like I acknowledge this is my lived experience. Right. But then maybe being curious to maybe have been wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, yeah, I was running so much last month and I had so much energy. So maybe that was what gave me energy, but this month running that much isn't giving me energy. So maybe yeah. it's rest. I don't know. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like having faith in your experience, but also having curiosity and being potentially wrong and like continuing to seek like, well, what am I feeling now? Yeah. It just carries over into every area that I've found. Right that the, the intuitive eating mindset just carries over into so many things where work life, uh, relationships, physical activity, the food, all of that stuff. And I find it with all my clients, they find the same thing. They're like, oh my gosh, I thought this was just going to be about food. <laughs> you know what? I really need it to carry over. And if you can invent this, I will be your first client <laughs> is intuitive finances. Like, please, someone tell me I was born with an intuition about finances because <laughs> I don't know my, how to budget and I don't want to count everything. My wife's, a, my, my wife's an accountant and I, I just do this. I yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> You're tell like, me if I can buy something and I will. And tell, if yeah. you tell me I can't, I won't. Then Wow. That's what I need. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jeff, thank you so, so, so much. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah. I had a great time. I appreciate your insight and your wisdom. And um, where can listeners find you if they want to get in touch? 
Yeah, um, I'm most active on Instagram at intuitive.eating.men. I have a podcast called Men's Intuition. And then I also, my website is hopedrivesme.com. And that can actually connect you with everything that I do. So awesome. And I'll link those mm -hmm. in the show notes. Well, thank Great. you so Thanks. much. Thank you. Have a good week. Bye.